Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour coming at you. And on this show, we have an interview with an international icon, Woody Allen. That's right, the film director, writer, actor, comedian, playwright. He's most known for his motion pictures. A lot of you have seen his classic movies like Annie Hall, Manhattan, Sleeper. This interview focuses on another side of Woody Allen, his love of music. He's one of the most celebrated personalities in film, but a lot of you have noticed the incredible musical interludes, the soundtracks of Woody Allen films. They're all just incredible, and that stems from his love of music. He is a clarinet player. In this interview, we talk about his love for the authentic traditional jazz of New Orleans. As I said, he's been playing the clarinet. He's been playing almost since his youth. He plays with the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band, and he continues to play many Monday nights at the Carlisle Hotel in Manhattan on 35 East 76th Street in New York. This interview was recorded back in 2008. The original recording, you'll notice it's recorded over the phone, it sounded horrible. Believe me, it was one of these things where I thought, Gosh, of all of the interviews to sound bad, this is the one. I don't know if it was a bad connection, but it just did not sound good. And it's something that has always kind of bothered me a little bit. Well, here we are almost 10 years later, and thanks to modern technology in terms of audio engineering, we have the interview sounding pretty good. I also have to thank Kevin Hooper. The Paul Leslie Hour does have an honor roll. And he is among one of the first entries. Fantastic guy. Thank you so much, Kevin Hooper. If you think this interview sounds pretty good, give some thanks out there into the cosmos to Kevin Hooper. I'm not going to keep you waiting. Let's get into the interview with the legendary Woody Allen. It is with great pleasure that we welcome film director, writer, actor, comedian, and playwright Mr. Woody Allen. He joins us to talk about his love of authentic New Orleans jazz. So first of all, thank you very much for making the time to do an interview with us today. Oh, sure. I always happy to talk about uh, New Orleans jazz. My first question, this is kind of a general question. What is it that you like about music? Well, I'm the same as any other human being. You know, it's a automatic kind of primitive response you have. Everybody likes music. Because you're... It's just unexplainable. It's just one of the, you know, unexplained, unintellectual uh, pleasures of life. Can you remember the first time you heard traditional New Orleans jazz? Uh, Yes, I I can. Mm -hmm. I do. I I heard a a concert uh, with Sidney Bechet and uh, Claude Luther. And... uh, it was uh, in France. I mean, I heard it in New York, but the concert took place in France. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know what the occasion was, but it was a live, a live concert that they had recorded. So why do you choose to play New Orleans jazz as opposed to other styles? What is it about the style that attracts you? 
uh, I just took a particular liking to it when I was uh, a teenager, when I first heard it. I just, there was just something about it that I liked. Maybe it's the direct, emotional, the simplicity of it. You know, it's a, such a um, primitive sound and it's so directly emotional and, um, you know, it's just warm and pleasurable to listen to when played well. You know, when it, when it is really is authentic and played well, when it's, when what you hear are those commercial Dixieland bands where they play, you know, the same cliched songs at breakneck speeds with, you know, saying nothing with, and this drum solos and things, you know, that stuff's nonsense. But, um, when you hear, you know, Bunk Johnson or Jelly Roll Morton or King Oliver, uh, those things are, you know, a primitive art form and very, very beautiful. As opposed to being a serious fan of jazz or just a record collector, you decided to take up the instrument. So I have to ask, what made you want to play yourself? Well, you know, there are some people that, uh, that just like to do it after they hear it done. You know, uh, they, they go watch a baseball game and it's pleasurable and they want to be a baseball player. They go see a detective movie and they want to go be a policeman. And, you know, and it's the same thing. I mean, I heard the music for a period of time. It was so pleasurable that uh, I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to play it. So, automatic response. Can you name a few artists in particular that you especially are fond of? Well, I, I became drawn to the uh, reed players of New Orleans. I mean, I, I love some of the horn players as well, and the pianists, but, but basically the reed players, you know, Sidney Bechet and George Lewis and Johnny Dodds, Jimmy Noon, Albert Burbank, uh, those, that group is probably the strongest group for me. I read about you going to the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival in Louisiana years ago. How did you feel going to the birthplace of jazz? I loved it. I I, uh, I went down there a few times. I've been to New Orleans actually a number of times and went down there. Uh, I played at Preservation Hall. I played in street parades. I played uh, in cabarets down there and, uh, and at the jazz festival. And, you know, for me, it was a sort of an overwhelming experience because it was so rich in history. Again, it would be like a, a baseball fan going to the Hall of Fame or something and visiting it. You know, I was visiting, walking through the streets of the French Quarter and looking at spots that would, would have no meaning to anyone else, but to me or to a traditional jazz fan, were full of meaning. There were spots where things were recorded, where musicians lived, where they played, and um, since I knew a lot about it, you know, it was a very rich experience. Certainly. What is it about the clarinet that drew you to that particular instrument? It's a good question. Uh, it's a hard thing to say because, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I was so crazy about the playing of Sidney Bechet and so crazy about the playing of George Lewis uh, and Johnny Dodds, you know, that uh, I just glommed on to that instrument. I, 
it could have gone another way. I guess if I was as moved uh, by Louis Armstrong or Bunk Johnson, I mean, both of whom I love, but the, the, the Reed players just struck a, a chord in me, and I, I, um, I wanted to play like them. I wanted to play what I, I do what I heard them doing. And uh, so I, I uh, went out and bought an old con soprano saxophone and, you know, tried to teach myself about, you know, how to play it. And, uh, and from, uh, and I, of course, I got to play it quite badly. Uh, and I, I never did get to be a good player. I'm an enthusiastic player and, a, uh, you know, devoted, but I, I don't really have much talent for it. And uh, from the soprano saxophone, I switched over to the clarinet for the most part because reed players, you know, generally interchange uh, their their horns. And uh, then I, I I've been playing it ever since. But I, you know, I don't practice a, a ton. You know, I'm not a professional musician. I have time. I'm, I'm like a Sunday hobby player, you know, the way, I don't know, Paul Newman used to drive sports cars or, or somebody plays golf on the weekend or, you know, and I, I do the best I can. Fortunately, I'm always surrounded by great musicians. The guys in my band are wonderful and uh, they pick me up all the time when I uh, embarrass myself. Well, you just mentioned the band and uh, we've had the opportunity to interview every single member of your band with the exception of Eddie Davis. And Eddie Davis is certainly someone worthy of uh, discussion. Can you tell us your impression of the legendary Eddie Davis? Eddie, great, uh, great banjo player. I ran into him first at uh, Bob Scobie's in Chicago, and uh, I sat in with a band that he was playing in. And then we didn't meet till years. We didn't uh, see each other again until years later in New York. He sat in with uh, the band I was playing with. And, uh, you know, he's a great, uh, a great natural musician, just a great musical talent. It's a wonderful ear. You know, does, does the banjo, uh, you know, gets a lot of beautiful music out of it. He's also featured, it, along with you, in the documentary Wild Man Blues, and they document you and your band's tour of Europe performing this music. And the Eddie Davis and Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band is about to. Is it Eddie? It's Eddie's band. I mean, I I I play in it, but you know he's really the leader and heart and soul of the band. And and uh, you know the, because I'm a celebrity from the movies, you know my name means something in the in the marquee. But you know I'm I'm just uh, I just really am not the leader of the band. I'm, I'm obviously the, the worst member of the band, as a matter of fact. Interesting. It does seem like it's billed as different things in at different times. But I was going to ask you, uh, you're about to embark on a tour of Europe again. Germany, Italy, Spain, Poland, and the Czech Republic. You've had the chance to bring this music to a lot of different countries. What country's crowd have you found to be the most appreciative of this style? Well, you know, for us, they're all appreciative because when we go there, you know, the only people that we see are the hundreds of people that have bought tickets to the show. So, uh, 
naturally, you know, they're anxious to see us and they're uh, jazz fans, or maybe some of them have seen my movies and they want to see me, but nevertheless, they do come to hear the music. And, uh, you know, and so every group seems very appreciative to us. They, you know, they, we can only mess it up. I mean, they love us before we start to play. And, and we really, everybody loves to play so much in the band that we really put out every night uh, and try and give a great show every night. And um, and so they respond very enthusiastically. We, we've never had a show that hasn't gone well because the people are appreciative, you know, when they're buying their tickets. I was going to ask you, uh, when someone go- goes to see you perform, what is it that you hope the listener gets out of the experience? Well, we try and play authentic New Orleans music. We don't, we don't, uh, you know, cater to an audience and we don't uh, go for effects or, or, you know, cute little uh, novelties or crowd-pleasing things. We play, you know, the music of... Um, of New Orleans, blues, ragtime, uh, gospel songs, uh, hymns, uh, whorehouse music, uh, parade music, and and uh, popular songs that were uh, played. And, and we, we try and play it, you know, as best we can do it, the way it was played in New Orleans. We try and, we try and play in that style, the New Orleans traditional style. And and we hope that uh, that it will have the same, you know, impact on an audience as, as it had on us. Do you think that the band pulls the authenticity off? I think we sometimes pull the authenticity off, yes. Uh, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we blow it. We, we, we pull it off pretty much because we're trying to. And then once in a while, you know... Somebody in the band uh, can screw up uh, for some reason, or or we play a song and not quite get it that way. You know, we won't really infuse it with the same kind of uh, ensemble playing that they had, or the same drive that they had. And you know, also we're also limited. You know, what you hear of that music, you're hearing when you hear. The recordings is the best of it. You're hearing the best of a lot of guys who are absolutely great musical artists. So you hear, you know, the best of Louis Armstrong, the best of Bunk Johnson, the best of Jimmy Noon or Jelly Roll Morton or George Lewis, and we're not in that class. You know, now all the musicians in the band are wonderful musicians, and compared to me, incredible musicians. But you know, we're not really in the class. We we are not Jelly Roll Morton. We're not Funk Johnson. I'm certainly not, you know, George Lewis or Albert Burbank. And, you know, so so we'll never really get the exact same thing. We do our best to play uh, with enthusiasm and feeling because what they were selling in those bands was you know, enthusiasm and emotion and, you know, they could just play one note, one simple note and it would be full of feeling. You know, you can tell 
who's playing that single note, you know, without knowing. I mean, if you, if I, if I heard any clarinet player in New Orleans, you know, of the ones that I know, play a single note, I could tell you who it is. I'm the same with the trumpet or the trombone. And, um, but, so, so we'll never get, we'll never get that because, we're, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, a group of musical geniuses whose recordings have survived over, you know, 75 years or something, but, you know, do a reasonable job of playing authentic music, and we don't make the mistake of turning into a kind of commercial, noise-making, you know, striped jacket, uh, straw hat, Dixie Man band. Well, you just said commercial noise-making, and that kind of reminds me of the general music industry and radio today. And it seems like they neglect a lot of the styles of music that are American roots music. So I was wondering how you personally feel about the state of music today. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a great fan of contemporary music. I never have been. But that's probably my shortcoming completely. You know, I, I like... Um, you know, I like Tin Pan Alley songs that I grew up with. I like, always liked the music of Hirschman and Cole Porter and Rogers and Hammerstein and Rogers Hart. You know, Irving Berlin. Those are, I felt that was a, a great era of music. And then when it started to change and music started to become, uh, groups of, you know, centering around drums and guitar and, uh, you know, for me, I lost interest in it. So now I'm sure there's been a lot of wonderful music since 1950 in the last 55 years, 58 years. I'm sure there's been a lot of wonderful music that I'm just not interested in, and uh, it's my loss. But uh, I don't really care because there's a sufficient amount of music that... Uh, that I can spend my lifetime listening to that uh, comes from New Orleans, it comes from Big Band, it comes from uh, Charlie Parker and Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane and Bud Powell, it comes from uh, classical music and opera and, uh, and you know, and the Giants of the Field, Gershwin, Kern and Porter and I, there's more than enough music for me to never run out of an endless supply of fabulous music without having to um, force myself to learn to like music that never connected with me and that came in, you know, uh, I guess in the 1950s. Well, speaking of the styles, uh, just on a side note, I really love the flamenco music in uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yes, it's very pretty. I discovered that uh, that was all news to me. I discovered that, uh, while I was cutting the film together and, and rummaging around in the uh, record piles, uh, trying to find appropriate music to score for the film. It's, uh, it's very beautiful. And, um, and as I say, it's something that I didn't know about myself and it was quite, quite lovely. There's two recordings, uh, that feature you. One was done as a trio with you and Eddie Davis and Connell Fawkes with strings, and there's also the Bunk Project, and I've read in a couple of places where you've been reluctant to record your music. 
I was wondering if there was any particular reason why. Uh, well, we recorded Wild Man Blues. You know, there's an album called Wild Man Blues, which is the recording of our concert that was from documentary. We recorded a little bit. I, I mean, I, I don't really like to record very much because I'm not very good. And uh, I don't feel I have anything to add to the lives of people by, you know, immortalizing myself, uh, you know, as a recording artist. I'm happy to play. Uh, people want to hear us, we, you know, that's fine. And the other guys can go and record all they want. But but I don't feel that I have enough to offer. You know, I mean, every once in a great while, you know, uh, I'm willing to make a recording. Uh, as I have over the last, I don't know, 35 or 40 years, I've really only uh, recorded twice, once with the Bunk Project and once with... Uh, Wild Man Blues, the the, the thing with uh, Eddie and Connell on strings, was just a little experiment we did one day that that uh, you know I don't think came off well at all, and you know but we we fiddled around with it a little bit just for our own amusement and uh, uh, I wouldn't count that much as a, a recording that that uh, I care much about, uh, but the Bunk Project has got. A couple of nice bands on it, and Wild Man Blues has a couple of nice bands on it. But that's that's kind of my average, you know. I mean, if I if I record a full concert or a full uh, LP, you know, CD, uh, there's usually you know a couple of tunes on it that I feel proud of that I've played well. But most of them, I I don't think much of. So, Mr. Allen, when you look back at all the years that you've performed, do you have a favorite memory? Uh, I guess it was the day I stopped performing. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I, it's a hard life to be a cabaret performer. You know, I like making movies, I like writing for the theater, and uh, doing most of the things I've done acting in movies, but... Uh, or on television, is not really uh, very, you know, it's not an attractive way to make a living. But cabarets were tough. I mean, I used to work month after month after month, seven nights a week in cities all over the country, doing two shows every night, staying up very late, and three on Friday night, and three on Saturday night. And, you know, you go on at one o'clock in the morning, a couple of nights a week and many nights you know it's cold and rainy and you don't get a very big audience and you're going on at uh, 11 o'clock at night or you know and then you finish that job on a Sunday night and the next day you open another city and so it, it was a kind of tough life uh, so I don't I don't really regret not performing in cabarets stand up comedy is kind of fun, and it and it would be fun to uh, to perform in concerts, but not enough fun for me to do it. I mean, it, it would be pleasurable to get up in front of a large audience, let's say at Carnegie Hall or something like that, or in a theater and perform. Um, by perform, I mean tell jokes. Uh, but you know, it, it's just not. I don't have the enough incentive. I mean, maybe before I die, 
the urge will overcome me so strongly that I'll return and do it again, but uh, uh, I don't think that. Well, at the current time, you and your band play every Monday night at the Carlisle in New York, and I'll be going to the next one on Monday, which I'm looking forward to, but I was wondering, why is it always Monday nights for all these years? You know, that happened as a pure accident. Many years ago, uh, we had to pick a night, and, uh, you know, there were a number of clubs in town that had uh, attractions, and the attractions would go on Tuesday through Sunday, and they would be closed on Monday. They wouldn't have any any attractions on Monday, so they found that if they put us in on Monday night, which was many years ago now, they could open Monday and uh, get a group, get a crowd to come. So they started playing us on Monday nights, and we all sort of set aside Monday night as the night. It's no different than, you know, I don't know, a Thursday night poker game or, you know, whatever. And, and it just arbitrarily, for us, turned out to be Monday. For the club owners, it made sense. And uh, so we've kept it Monday evening. For instance, at the Carlisle, you know, we'll play Monday night. And then Tuesday night, you know, someone like Eartha Kitt will come in and she'll be there for the whole week and, and play. She, she's the, the real attraction. And we're, we're you know, just there for, to fill in the Monday evening. This question came from one of your band members. He wanted to know about the Sleeper soundtrack. He wanted to know what was that experience like with the members of the Preservation Hall band. Oh, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. I went down to Preservation Hall and I I sat in with uh, the players and we we played. I was uh, you know as bad as I play now. I was much worse then, and uh, I wish I could do that again because all those players have now passed on. But uh, I would. Uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was fun to play in the hall because it's uh, acoustically a wonderful place to play. And um, and then I supplemented that with the then, but not current, band that I was playing with at Michael's Pub in New York, another cabaret. And we did some of the songs. And, and it was fun because in New Orleans, you know, I was playing all the tempos that were given to me by the band. They would play their songs and they played them at the tempos they always played them at. But there were times when for the scoring of the picture, I would need either a brighter or a slower tempo and uh, to complement the scene appropriately. And so I had to do that with my own band in New York. I had to say, well, let's play this song, but let's play it you know, at a much swifter tempo than they played it because we're using it as chase music or something. And but it was fun to do. I mean, I, if, I'd love to play the score again. You just have to have the right movie for it. It has to have the right, you know, the right subject matter so that uh, that kind of music is the appropriate music for the, you know, the text of the scenario. Very interesting. One of the things that I've enjoyed about doing this series is it's turned me on to a lot of really great music that is hardly ever played. And I was reading an article that uh, Scarlett Johansson recently did, and she was interviewed, and she talked about trying to turn you on to new types of music. So I'm curious, 
as to whether you have tried to introduce her or other actors to these great artists like Sidney Bechet or Jelly Roll Morton or some of these greats. Uh, are you asking me if I do? Yeah, if you try to turn people on. Like uh, There's nothing more obnoxious, I find, than people that try and, uh, you know, share their music with you, share their enthusiasms. You know, it never works. I mean, there are people they they're frantic and they're so moved by some recording they have and they, they collar you and pull you down. You say, just listen, just listen to this part. Just, just wait till you hear this, wait till you hear this, just this one band. And, and you listen, it doesn't mean a thing to you. You can't wait to get out of there. And I feel I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be grabbing someone by the lapels and throwing them down the chair and, you know, playing some Bunk Johnson thing for them or some King Oliver tune and, and uh, I'd be wildly enthused over every nuance and every little twist and bluesy turn. And they'd be looking at me like I was nuts. You know? So uh, I, I spared them that. And... Well, I have three final questions. Uh, this one question came from Elliot Mintz, who is the publicist of the late John Lennon. And he wanted me to ask you, he said, uh, your most memorable movies involve relationships between men and women. You've managed to find humor in the frail ties of the human heart. How important is humor in the healing process when two people simply run out of love for each other? Uh, humor doesn't do much. Once uh, once you run out of love, uh, you, uh, somebody's, gonna, if not both people, uh, are going to do some suffering. And uh, no amount of humor is salves that over. It's... Uh, it's not a magic healing thing. And it just, uh, unfortunately, doesn't, uh, doesn't do what it's sometimes advertised to do. It's only funny to the teller. I asked all the people in the band this. You guys get a chance to go around the world and eat some really incredible food. So what is your all-time favorite meal? <laughs> well, it varies, but uh, I'm very happy when I eat in Spain. And uh, and I'm very happy when I eat in Italy, but probably I'd rather eat in Spain than any place. So my final question, the incredible thing about this series is that we have heard from listeners all over the world, and you're about to head overseas with the band, and this broadcast is going out worldwide. So my final question, what would you, Mr. Woody Allen, like to say to the world? What would you like to say to all those people listening in? Well, I mean, I hope uh, that the people that like this kind of music, uh, will come and catch our band because I think, you know, it's rare to find many people playing this kind of music today. And I think they, that there's a good chance, I can't guarantee it, but there's a good chance that they will enjoy it because, uh, you know, we are selling an authentic product to the best of our ability and, and, uh, and I think it'd be worth it to, to many of them to uh, come and listen to it played as it was played in New Orleans, um, you know, because you can't get a lot of that today. We're by no means the best in the world at it, but uh, we're not bad either. Well, Mr. Allen, I thank you very, very much for this interview. It has been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thanks very much, and uh, good luck. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. 
Outro music, composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>